please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. There is something refreshing about today's passage from Luke's gospel. John the Baptist comes along. He is priming the pump for the one who will follow him. That's Jesus. The message John brings is a message of judgment. He calls the people a brood of vipers. Or in another translation, he calls them children of snakes. He talks about the wrath to come. And he exhorts the people to bear fruits worthy of repentance. None of that is the refreshing part. If anything, that part can be hard to hear. The refreshing part is the people's response. In our Gospels, we see many responses to God's messengers, messengers like John the Baptist. We see a whole range of responses to Jesus. Imagine it were you listening to John. Imagine him saying, You brood of vipers! speaking with all the force one might expect from him. How would that feel? In the face of a message like John's, and in the face of some of what Jesus said, many people responded by shrinking away. Some people retreated sorrowfully. Some people just turned away. Other people got angry and defensive. Some people wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff. So that's the refreshing part of today's story. Instead of becoming fearful or turning away or getting angry, the people respond to John in a very different way. The people ask, what should we do? This is a question I sometimes hear from some of you. This church has a heart for social justice. That is a priority here. We talk about immigration and interfaith relationships, and racism, and refugees, and poverty, and homelessness. And sometimes we ask ourselves and one another, what should we do? None of us wants to stop with talk. We want to know what to do. And we have some ideas. There are some things we know about what to do, like hosting the interfaith rotating winter shelter this week. But many of us want to do more and want to know more about what we don't already know about what to do. When the crowd asks John the Baptist, what should we do? He has an answer. It's pretty specific, but I think his answer, his message, also goes beyond the specifics of what he says in this moment. He answers the crowd and says, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. He addresses tax collectors and says, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. He addresses soldiers and says, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. John's strident message doesn't stop with name-calling, the viper part. John says this, Bear fruits 
worthy of repentance. And this indeed is the heart of the matter. This is why I think John's message must be understood much more broadly than the narrow specifics of sharing coats or food, the narrow specifics that apply to tax collectors and soldiers. Here's another place where I find it helpful to turn to another translation of our passage. Sometimes the word repent sounds harsh and can be off-putting. It certainly has been misused. But here's how another translation offers the same exhortation from John. Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. That's exactly what repentance means, to change our hearts and lives. And who is John the Baptist talking to? Well, he's talking to everyone. He's talking to a crowd, and it is a crowd that includes people from a range of stations in life. But some of the particulars are pretty important. By speaking to a crowd, John the Baptist is addressing common people and is addressing anyone and everyone. But the story also tells us that a couple of particular groups ask John for guidance. These are the tax collectors and the soldiers. Tax collectors and soldiers are groups of people that both have a particular role to play in the Roman Empire. They are part of economic and military systems and structures, and these structures are unjust. This morning we added a third verse to the hymn we are singing in response to our Advent candle lighting. Today's verse echoes John's instruction to share, and our hymn sings of the hope that for everyone born, there should be a system that's fair. A system. It is difficult to directly correlate the political or economic systems of Jesus' day to those of our day, maybe impossible. In so many ways, we live in a world apart from that time in history. Just our representative democracy is one example that, uh, of how different our time is, even with whatever flaws are part of our democracy. We can't directly apply John's message to the IRS or to the United States military, but we can extrapolate. We can consider these specifics as metaphors that apply to other economic and military systems. And we can know that John's call for justice in those structures in his day is also a call for justice in those structures in our day. Last week, we heard Luke quoting the prophet Isaiah and talking about what it looks like to prepare a way for the Messiah. He writes, Every valley will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. These are also structural changes. And while this language is very metaphorical, the powerful images of changes to the very landscape of our geography paint a picture of change that is broad and structural. Repentance means to change our hearts and our lives. But the context of leveling mountains and overhauling the work of tax collectors and soldiers shows us that changing our hearts and lives is most emphatically not 
primarily internal work. This change does not stop at the level of being nicer to people. This is a call to change the world, to change unjust structures at a structural level. John spoke to the soldiers of the Roman Empire. We know that our soldiers, that the United States military, changes things all the world over, sometimes for good and sometimes for ill. And while John the Baptist spoke to soldiers, the ones we need to speak to are the ones who decide the fate of our soldiers, the ones who have the power to decide where and how our military will be used. We can speak for change in the hearts and lives of the ones who have this authority so that our nation can have a positive influence in the world rather than doing harm. John the Baptist spoke to the tax collectors because there was such corruption in the system of taxation in the Roman Empire. Today in the United States, I believe our taxes can be a powerful force to promote economic equity. Taxes use resources that come particularly from those of us who have the most resources to give. Taxes are spent to maintain a fabric of a strong society, a fabric woven together of public schools and roads that provide equal access as well as jobs for their building and repair, and the list goes on. Of course, this is an ideal, and the implementation of our tax system and our public funding of infrastructure can fall far short of the ideal. We need to advocate for a system that levels mountains and raises valleys. I remember hearing a story years ago that made an enormous impression on me. The story was of a family who was fairly well off. I'm pretty sure they were a United Methodist family. I think I read about this in uh, some United Methodist publication. The parents in the family recognized their privilege and felt called by their faith to make a difference in the world for those who were less privileged. They came up with a creative way to do this. They made the decision that for each of their children who they sent to college, they would match that investment by funding the college education of another child, a kid whose, only fa whose own family could not afford college. That's an awesome way to use privilege to provide a fair chance to someone else. And as I speak about these things, I realize that we here are not all in the same situation. We have all kinds of different financial situations in this community here. But I think it's worth speaking particularly to those of us who do have a fair amount of privilege. I suspect that if John the Baptist were speaking today, he might skip the tax collectors and address the housing market. I think John the Baptist would address the mortgage industry. Historians and economists and journalists have offered overwhelming evidence that injustices and actual corruption in the mortgage industry over at least the past 80 years have played an enormous role in the economic inequities between racial groups. Home ownership tends to build economic security from generation to generation. The inability to own a home can set a family or sometimes an entire community back farther and farther with each generation. And we know 
that African Americans have been most harmed by this, by the intentional targeting of African Americans in the denial of home loans and the unjust implementation of outrageous mortgage terms. I can imagine a radical choice in how we might use our privilege, some of us, more radical than sending other people's kids to college. What if I own a $300,000 home that I plan to pass on to my heirs? And what if, instead of passing that home on, I divide the value in half and give half to my heirs? And what if I were to give the other $150,000 to, say, Habitat for Humanity, so that people who might not even dream of home ownership can become homeowners? Investing in home ownership for low-income families has the potential to change the economic genealogy of a family for generations to come. I've been contemplating just the seed of an idea of something I could do, something much more modest than putting a kid through college or funding home ownership. I have had this idea. What if I were to match my discretionary spending dollar for dollar with spending that supports those in need or that supports organizations working for economic justice? What if for every $3.50 I spend at Starbucks, I set aside $3.50 to give away? What if every $20 dinner out would be matched by $20 towards ministries of economic justice? Perhaps this could be just a rather modest step toward leveling the playing field, a step I could actually take. I was saying after the service earlier and chatting with folks that I think I would need an accountability group to help me do that. In the face of unjust structures that are so big, we start with those who heard John the Baptist and ask, what can we do? And I think a starting place is to examine our own privilege and consider what we are willing to do to shift that. To repent means to change our hearts and lives. Perhaps John the Baptist's call to repent can be interpreted as a call to those of us who have privilege to give up some of our privilege. There is a risk in this. I think the idea that we might somehow lose our privilege or have to sacrifice our privilege is one thing that can play into the fear we hear around us. I think the fear that people might have to give something up or might lose something we have can have the effect of turning people against immigrants or against the poor. I can't help but wonder if this kind of fear is part of what is at work in those who support Donald Trump's outrageous, bigoted, and inflammatory ideas. But the Christian faith calls us to respond with generosity and hope, and not with fear. It is a delight to be part of a church community that is continually asking, what should we do? For the people in Luke's gospel to ask John the Baptist, what can we do, was a refreshing alternative to some of the fear and resistance we find in the gospels. 
Let us respond to the call to repent and respond to the injustice in our world with generosity and hope and not with fear. Because this call to change our hearts and our lives, this response of hope emboldens us to change the world. Amen.